to How I Deal, where we discuss past closed one and lost deals, how they played out that way, and provide some actionable sales tips that AEs, full cycle sellers, anyone out there can utilize today. My name is Taylor Dollum, full cycle account exec, turn content guy, and I'm joined as always by Junior, our superstar seller here at Pickle. How's it going, June? Great. It's episode six. We're moving along here and we're making some friends as we go. So that's not bad. Not bad at all. A quick brief refresher on how this podcast works. Each conversation we chat through a past deal. We want to keep all names and places anonymized as much as possible, but we want to dive deep. We want to understand, hey, from the first time a prospect was approached or at least initially researched, all the way to you get the final yes, you get the closed deal. And uh, this is an exciting one. Yeah, today we've got Jerry Hill. He began his career as a pro rugby player, then arrived on the sales scene, building teams and consulting, and is now helping connect and sell grow. Jerry, we're glad you can make it. Oh, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Jerry, give us some insight into your role and what problems connect and sell solves. Yeah, um, I guess I'm a sort of bridgehead into international markets for connect and sell. I'll go to problem and then company. So connect and sell solves the number one frustration that most sellers, whether they're top of funnel sellers or full cycle AEs, suffer from, which is the inability to get conversations on demand with prospects that they want to speak to. Um, it's a composition of technology and human labor, which ultimately drives the voicemails, the gatekeepers, the phone trees completely out of your existence and only connects you to the people that you've got named on your list. So instead of waiting 90 minutes for a conversation, we can get you a conversation in four minutes, meaning you can have 10 conversations in an hour. That's awesome. Let's just dive in. I guess, Jerry, what deal are you walking us through today? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it was my first sort of proper big company deal that I did about five, six years into my career. I picked this one because it was a win, but it was a win for a variety of different reasons. It wasn't the obvious win. And I think that it's a logo or a size of company that most people would love to, to ever, ever bring into, into their career. So, you know, it stands out for me for a number of reasons. Gotcha. A huge logo. It sounds like a whale here. It happened a few years back, but uh, you know, first enterprise deals are hard to forget. To that point, you know, the research probably was obvious, target account, but what nuances went into kind of understanding the opportunity, the scale, you know, maybe yeah. how did you go about look researching this deal? Yeah, so I think context is everything. So this was in the last major sort of downturn, credit crunch, subprime crisis, 2008, 2009. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't a growth year. You know, most sellers today are operating in growth markets, well-funded companies where, you know, they don't have to necessarily worry about the macroeconomic factors at play. This was definitely not the case. Big companies at the time were squeezing and tightening belts because behind their profitability, they're exposed to a lot of toxic risk in, in financial markets, right? So there was this hidden force behind why deals couldn't happen or why they were stalled or why they were just pushed out altogether. Um, the research behind it was quite interesting. You know, in the context of everything that was there, the proposition and product in itself wasn't actually what mattered here. It was finding a unique angle to attack so that you could have an opportunity to even have a conversation in the first place. So this company specifically funded and built a internal venture capital firm 
corporate venture capital. So they were able to deploy balance sheet assets to invest in companies that would either benefit their operations day to day, or they could potentially scale based on their global expertise. The company I was working for at the time was a you know tier two management consulting organization and market research firm. And what makes this really unique was just the depth of research that we had to find and go through in order to be able to make it all come together. Um, it started off in, a, in an analyst briefing in a financial reporting market when, when the company was reporting. That was when my ears pricked up to the fact that this new business unit was coming into to being. Um, looked across the portfolio of assets that were in my business at the time and realized that there was a real sweet spot that we weren't leveraging in any way, shape or form. And it was the ability to match those two things up ultimately that that helped me originate and prospect to them. A great, interesting deal to talk about because you mentioned your ears perk up when you heard like analyst briefing and the details that came about there. And myself, I hear analyst briefing and I'm like, hey, that's that's a bore. That's a snooze for me. I'm not tuning into that. But in my cell, there are definitely events that I do need to tune into that when I hear you know, for me, the phrase is an analyst briefing, but if I hear whatever phrase it is that I'm trying to chase, I should be perking up just like you. Um, so we know Connect and Sell is really tuned into the prospecting world, the prospecting scene, right? Connecting salespeople to conversations. Um, while this isn't under the Connect and Sell umbrella, we previously talked about this deal before, so I love where we're, it's going, but how did you go about getting in front of this prospect? Give us some details there. I mean, it was a cold call. It was a cold call, but it wasn't like cold cold. I wasn't just sort of calling with generic pitch or, or value prop to create curiosity. I had a very specific thread in mind. Now, back in 2009, whilst phone-based prospecting was relatively hard, most people picked up because most people did. You know, it was a primary function of business. <laughs> and just to give you context, we were operating on a Lotus Notes email system and we only had like a Lotus Notes chat window and we were still getting orders over fax in 2008 and 2009 rather than getting PDFs email back to you, right? So this sets the scene from a technology point of view. So generally speaking, switchboard operators would put you through, right, to people. Nine times out of 10 back then, the main friction was gatekeeper. I got really lucky one day. I got a 100% hit rate from switchboard to the person I actually wanted to speak to. Now, the person I wanted to speak to was the CEO of this newly minted business unit. Now, because of the value that they were placing on it, the CEO also held non-executive jobs at other industrial businesses what I would call products of an oil company, people that would require those types of things. You know, the, the thread that stitched it all together to give me social proof was the fact that she was also on the board of a company that another part of our business at Frost & Sullivan did business with. So I was able to articulate context quite quickly. I was able to take research from that analyst call and additional pieces that I had done and thread it together and talk about some work that would help them with a very specific problem as a you know, a startup within a big company that was looking for startups to invest in. The primary thing that I felt we could help was sort of map mega trends, five year, 20 year technology outlooks to deal flow today for, you know, areas in the value chain that they really cared about working through. She agreed. And she, she was very patient and had the time for me to go through that narrative with her. Part of it was skill, part of it was timing, part of it was good luck. But I think the real thing from a seller's point of view was using judgment at the right time to, to not be fearful of job title to not be fearful that she might say no but to have real confidence in the idea that you're presenting because i'm going to be honest with you it was a silver bullet idea it was a one 
idea, one conversation, one thread that was, I don't think there would have been many opportunities for me to go and reinvigorate that idea anywhere else. And I love that you're taking, like you called with something so specific to this person, right? Cause I have, uh, I have a script for my cold calls when I'm calling and when it's my list of 50, I'm hitting that script. But when you've done your target research account, like you had this analyst briefing content and you like weren't just calling to give her, you know, your script opener and rundown, but like, you're like, Hey, I've got this proposition and I see this window. I believe it can work. Yeah. And just to give you a sort of context for the setup for the sales team that you worked in practice areas. So I was in the energy and environment practice. Oil, oil and gas would come under energy. Then you've got a long tail of accounts that are allocated to you. Your promotion gradient was account executive, strategic account executive. So the pool of accounts gets smaller. But at that time, I was still managing a portfolio of 80 accounts, five of which were globally strategic of value. So five accounts required deep research and insight. The rest of my account book was broader, more generic, more general value prop, and then see what happens in the melee of that 80 accounts to see if you can manufacture them into a key account, right? So yeah. you're absolutely right, Junior, but the ones that you have been targeted against that are high value, you should always put the application and research together to make sure that your bullet bullet lands right yeah and taylor before you take over if you're an ae and you're given a list of accounts that is anywhere you know from 80 like jerry said to 100 just realize that one cold like you could cold call 80 people in one day right you could burn that list really quickly so if you're you're given a list be more strategic and specific when you're calling because it, it could be one and done and then you're you know you're screwed and trying to climb the ladder back up yes especially named accounts these whales be as strategic as possible one call one close well i mean yeah just just on on that as well like every other whale organization in the world that can value, provide value to that company is also trying to prospect them mm-hmm. so know, it's a vanity metric get the biggest logo right so you've got everyone from like mom and pop recruiter with some 17 year old kid who's like bp i've heard of them i'm gonna prospect <laughs> them so accenture that's gonna sell you you know a billion dollars of marketing services and it services a year speaking directly to the ceo of the company but they're still doing prospecting work so you need to stand out in and amongst yep. the noise the more specific you can be in a, in a big business the, the more relevant you can be. It's all about relevant contextual awareness, right? So contextual awareness is your generic, but relevant contextual awareness is more important than a pain funnel because you haven't established pain at this point. You've just got one idea. I'm going to yeah. give you the idea. Well, let's move into that pain, right? So you've closed, you've closed at least that initial yes of, hey, I've, my research is targeted. I've made this, this first encounter, this first cold call. They got the yes. They want to chat heads into the discovery kind of what did you what did you do for that discovery and what did you learn and take away from it yeah so i think about discovery in a slightly weird way in the sense that people still don't really understand the quantifiable nature of the thing that you've got in front of them so i don't feel it's fair to put anybody through an interview process no matter how skillful you are at it to, you know if if they can't quantify even what it is yet so you need expertise you need credibility you know teach today sell tomorrow is probably my motto on a lot of these kind of bigger company pursuits so teaching was the first component that was the very first step in the wall and it was teaching not about the company it was teaching about the scale of what the next 20 years looked like 
right, what does the next 20 years look like? That's such a big meeting, right? But how do you distill that into something? Now, you know, at 25, 26 years old, probably not really qualified to deliver that credibly to the type of executive, right? So you have to bring people in. You have to bring experts in. You have to bring the, the grown-ups in, the gray hair. Now, you know, I follow Brendan, Brendan Flaherty a lot on LinkedIn. You probably know he is, you know, the live person dude, you know, the $1 million a year guy. He's right. Deep work matters and bringing executive alignment into your deals matters i'm still quarterbacking i just need to push my ego somewhere else i can't do it all but the senior partner in the business can and he's gonna be like what do we need to do how do we need to prep what is this context what are we doing what are we establishing how are we going to do it my quarterbacking is this is the shape of the meeting is there anything else you want to add and this is what you're going to get from it now here's the thing i had another golden moment with an adjacent business in the utility sector and we went in and pitched and at the end of the meeting she said guys really underwhelmed uh, what what do you mean underwhelmed she was, she said i was expecting you to teach me something new given how much insight you sit on i didn't Ouch. learn anything but take the learning, right? Take the learning, absorb it, move on. I'm now dealing with an adjacent job title in a bigger company with a much longer storied history of success. Got to execute. So now you over-prepare. Give yourself the credibility. Now we get an opportunity to do discovery because guess what that person's given me permission to do? Go and meet my experts around these four things that I think you're going to be most valuable to. Now we can get to discovery. So um, you had mentioned you know, previously and kind of while we're chatting here, but you're bringing like the big brain people, the people that are thinking about, you know, the next 20 years. And I yeah. even, and listening to this, I'm thinking like, I'm going into discovery too narrow-minded. So even just hearing that, like makes me think a lot more. So post-discovery, you've made some promises on what you can deliver while you are selling a platform, you're also selling additional services and more so like that partnership aspect. So you never actually tapped into a demo of the platform during this whole sales process. You know, this is untraditional probably to our typical SaaS listener. So I, even I am curious, you know, where do you take it from here? Yeah, again, context. So this is sort of Gen 1 hosted platform of pdfs and market research contents on really boring stuff right <laughs> you know the you know the, the generator market for alternators in the middle east in water applications right about 35 people in the world care about that but it's actually really valuable because it's such big money markets you know i think sometimes in SaaS we get skewed by valuations and stuff and think we're, we're big big business we're not big business the people that make alternators for massive utility companies now that's a big business but you've never heard of them so there's a market for this stuff by moving everything to platform your cost of delivery goes down so it was a gem one research as a service product because it was cloud hosted now every other seller in the world that was selling sort of similar stuff from like data monitor to Gartner to anything was obsessed with this delivery mechanism which was SaaS but it never really got to the end of the problem and it's, it's a problem that permeates in, in selling today which is we throw up and show up on our demo and our slides, right? We're not actually quantifying anything meaningful. So I've always believed in the power of a diagnostic session uh, before you get to that point where you get your major person to bring people together. And what do we do here? Well, we do whiteboards. I know, you know, and I'm the proudest thing in the world is that this deal led to nearly eight figures in revenue over 10 years with this company. But we never, ever showed them the product until they agreed to buy the product. And the first interaction they had with the product was in the onboarding call. What do we do? We just whiteboarded. This is what it does. How valuable would that be to you? But actually, we reframed it. We had 12 people in the room and we said, right, tell me your top 10 problems about accessing information and insight in these markets right now. 
and they would quantify the problem and they would tell us stuff and you write it out on the whiteboard with them and then you draw out some stuff on the whiteboard about what you could do and then you start ticking off would this solve would this solve would this solve yes brilliant we're now 75 percent of the way to solving all of your collective problems what's that worth brilliant now you can have a conversation around monetization and actually that's still not the most interesting bit is it's how do you because what do they care about? The platform is just the gateway mechanism into an outcome. The outcome for them is still access to the expert, right? It's not about the uh, it's not about the power of the PDF. That's good, but so what? What about the underlying numbers? What about the figures? What about the person who conducted the primary research? So in SaaS, the equivalent is why aren't we leveraging our customer success teams a bit more in our pre-sales endeavor or in our sales endeavor? Because they they are expert. They're the shining star in your business that helps with net retention. Reason I picked this deal again is because we're about to head into down markets. So in a down market context, deep research on your most strategic accounts with a new perspective is potentially the thing that keeps your career motoring in the face of people freezing budgets. Second thing, teamwork and displacing your ego ultimately ties it all together because now you're the quarterback and the facilitator you're trusted because you can be trusted to bring in the right person at the right time. Thirdly, allow your post sales people to shine earlier up in your sales process because they're the people that are going to be the crutch and the strategy for making sure that your product works after the deal's done. So if you can give them the full feeling of being a customer before you've even sold them a penny, why wouldn't you? But for, for far too much of our time is committed to doing the deal, do the deal, do the deal. Now, I get it if your economics aren't great, right? If I'm selling $55 a month on a license, you know, you can you can probably go through the cycle. But, you know, you do need to put in an, an extraordinary amount of effort to, to create a high quality process for somebody in a way that they've never thought possible before. So that, you know, they're not feeling like they're being particularly exploited, which I think most discovery does set people up for, if I'm honest. With these problems that you're listing out, kind of whiteboarding, having these conversations, you're getting yeses along the way. And we'll talk about this in a second, but curious, you know, throughout that process, what major barriers, even no matter how many problems you were solving or talking about, there had to be something that came up that, that maybe almost lost the yeah. deal, right? What did that look like? Yeah, I mean, trusted expertise matters in a business like that. You're, you're, you know, the people behind the content need to stand up as an expert and they generally do but you can't control certain dynamics. So they asked us to facilitate a very specific workshop. Now it was a four day workshop that was already in play that they'd organized internally. We were able to get a quick monetization win by charging out some of the time for the prep and for the execution here. But there was a larger piece of the puzzle, which was the in management consultancy, the ability to facilitate these work streams. That's where the real money happens for you. And we put our best expert up in front of them. We did the prep work. We thought we had the narrative nailed. Last minute, unbeknownst to anybody, expert decides to go absolutely rogue in front of a room of 40 of the most astute scientists and innovators in this market on the planet. First slide, numbers. We only had a 30-minute slot, by the way, in this workshop. First slide, numbers. Absolutely turned into a cluster. <laughs> I can still remember it. It's really visceral. I'm looking around the room. You've got like a woman who's now the adjacent emeritus professor to the US government of physics, who was the chief science officer at the time for this company. She's just like a gog. And you've got like these people who've got strong opinions going, your numbers are wrong. And he's now spending 30 minutes justifying his numbers. The narrative that we prepared for was this nice gentle story until we get to we believe projections before anyone actually has a time to be contentious about it. So all of a sudden, all credibility is off the table. Your owner, you know, your product owner inside that business is like, 
oh my god so you've got to backtrack from that immediately and lean into the problem and recognize it because if you just hide from it and say sorry to your stakeholder you're done right so now you need to go and find out why it was so bad so we we basically went back individually to every single person in the room and offered to do a 10 minute synthesis for all of them individually and get their feedback and make sure that they they felt that we were able to go back and correct the problem and still show that we had value to them what does that mean it means 10 minutes of a senior partner's time at two thousand dollars a day for free now right so we're now extracting the cost from the time that they put into this and the money that they spent but it was good i mean it it ultimately showed that we were willing to work hard for them which they respected and because of the nature of the platforming piece it's all margin at that point anyway so you're able to re re push it through i was it was one of those sort of coming out the session and here's the thing the lack of self-awareness from my colleague at the time was really really stunning because he was like nailed it as he walked out of the room and I was just like, oh, oh my no. God. And I basically said to him, can you please get in a separate taxi? I'm going to get in a separate <laughs> taxi. Don't come and speak to me for the rest of today, but we'll deal with it tomorrow was essentially my message to him. So. Yes. So losing credibility in this case extended yeah. this deal quite a bit because now you're reorchestrating, you know, separate orchestrating everybody yeah. that you've previously yeah. had under your umbrella yeah um, we're, we're re-orchestrating but actually it probably benefited us if i think about our maturity at that time it probably was actually the right thing because if they had actually given us the bigger bit of work then i don't think we would have executed it as well in the longer term six seven eight year revenue run that came from that first win probably wouldn't have happened in the way that it did so you know we were able to slowly eke our way up their value chain as a business and you know the net retention was awesome the upsell was awesome and you know we were penetrating parts of the company that had we gone in with our traditional conventional value proposition at that moment in time we still wouldn't have acquired them as a customer for at least two years so i think you've got to be able to take some of the hits along the way you just need to be able to displace your ego be fair, be equitable, stand up to bullshit challenges. But when you're wrong, you're wrong. Own it and solve it quickly. I think yeah. you know, that, that's the other message. So you've got, you know, outcomes coming along the way. Some are great. Some, you know, cause 10 additional minutes per person that you're trying to get back to credibility with. Um, but you get the yes, right? You eventually get like a yes, we'll partner together, we'll do this thing. So where did the yes come from? And more importantly, you know, in our eyes is like, what did the yes mean? Yeah, I mean, the yes was always at the right level. You know, we, we sort of threaded into the right level initially. We maintained consistency by consistently elevating after every single meeting and engagement to report back so there was always visibility and control for them you know we weren't running around using their name causing reputational damage particularly because we were so over communicative with them you know there was stuff they didn't need to know but there'd be a text message at 10 o'clock at night going i met hannah today she was nice that was the extent of the message but you know it was just (laughs) making sure they knew um so the check the docusign uh, wouldn't have been a docusign back then it was actually a fax came through and it came from the same person that we'd sort of engaged with in the very first meeting after that initial prospecting approach but it meant that they showed enough value and trust in us to be able to give some of their slush money because it wasn't budgeted to us and we were able to then execute a much broader engagement what did it mean for me it meant you know i was i was a little bit aware that i wasn't sure whether or not i was cut out for this sort of enterprise selling luck at that time because it was the context of a down year i've seen people around me who'd been in the business a lot longer still seeing consistent success because they had done a good job on their accounts i was still trying to graft and grind right but it was a transformational win for me because it made me believe i was in the right place so sliding doors 
you know if I hadn't have won that who knows I could be a greenkeeper out of the local golf course not living the life that I want to but you know that's fine be living a different life and, and I wouldn't know any different right but I'm grateful ultimately and then thirdly it did a huge amount for my career inside that organization you know it elevated me because this was one of those albatross accounts that no matter what anybody ever did they couldn't win it you know i stitched that together i curated it i orchestrated it i learned a huge amount it wasn't perfect or flawless by any stretch but it gave me a huge amount of credibility in my peer group but more importantly in the sort of partner stratosphere because now every single partner was going how do we get into the account with you right so they were coming to you rather than you going to them for help and i think the key takeaway was you know the company rewarded me for it you know i won best deal of the year in a company that would write 20,000 bits of business a year globally in a 2,000 seller organization, that, that meant a huge amount to me. Yes, that's huge. Massive win, Jerry. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, anything that's going to raise your profile, like winning a deal or, or approaching certain things where partners are asking you, hey, how can I get in? It's going to be a good thing. But yeah. let's go ahead and wrap this thing up. Um, yeah. What are three things, three tips based maybe within the, uh, the context of this deal that any sales pro out there can use today to uh, inch closer to that closed one. Yeah, don't be don't be scared to spend the extra time finding out like what are the things I should be listening out for. I think that's quite important because you never know where that that sort of idea is going to come from. Don't be scared to be confident in the idea once you've had it, both internally and with the prospect. And I think the third thing is be comfortable with being an orchestration piece, the quarterback. You don't necessarily need to do all the work yourself. Bringing the team in, showing the quality of the team and orchestrating those people at the right time is, is probably one of the most underrated skills, I think, in fairly complex or big company selling and, and you generally can get quite far on that basis. That's great. Great insights, um, great tips. You know, at the end of the day, hopefully we can use some of these in our own deals that we're working today. Jerry, it was great to have you. If you tuned in today, go connect with Jerry on LinkedIn. Quick note, you know, one of, I guess, two of his tips, one was like, it's, it's possible to sell in a down market. And, you know, it looks like we might be headed that direction. Set your ego aside, like pull in and team sell, like secure, you know, where you are today based off of the people around you. Jerry, again, great, great. to have you. Yes. Thank you, Jerry. Just like that. Another episode of How Ideals in the Books. Thanks for tuning in. Please subscribe. Give us a couple stars if uh, you enjoy this pod and uh, we'll see you next time.